Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. And welcome to a new episode of the Geek Town Behind the Scenes podcast. I'm your host, Dave Elliott, and on this episode, I'm chatting with Damien Thaler from Fuse Effects, VFX supervisor on the brilliant TNT and Netflix drama Snowpiercer. Set more than seven years after the world has become a frozen wasteland, Snowpiercer centers on the remnants of humanity who inhabit a giant, perpetually moving train that circles the globe. Class warfare, social injustice, and politics of survival play out as the residents battle for control. Based in Vancouver, Canada, Damien Thaler is a VFX supervisor at Fuse Effects, the award-winning company behind some of the incredible work on shows such as 911, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Ratched, The Outsider, American Horror Story, and of course, Snow piercer. Damien himself has an extensive background in creating VFX environments for film and TV, having worked on all eight seasons of Game of Thrones, most of the Harry Potter movies, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Thor Ragnarok, Captain America Civil War, Gravity, Joker, and a myriad of other high-profile projects. In the interview, we discuss how Damien and his team worked to build the frozen world outside of the trains. This includes building a unique but realistic snow and ice environment, along with visualising the various destroyed cities throughout the world. The VFX also created the train itself, which is over a thousand cars long, as it ploughs through the icy wasteland, along with dealing with the more detailed external shots of the train and the environment in season two. If you'd like to hear more behind the scenes interviews, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast by searching for Geek Town Radio. This also gives you our weekly Geek Town Radio podcast, which brings you all the latest TV, film and gaming news. You can also go to the website at geektown.co.uk for daily news stories and all the latest UK and US TV premiere dates. Here's the interview with Damien Thaler from FuseFX, VFX supervisor on Snowpiercer. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Thank you for coming on and chatting with me. Before we talk about the show, how about a little bit of background about you? How did you get into the industry in the first place? Well, you know, I come from a creative background, studied in traditional art, and was a lover of feature film. Grew up with all those films like um, Richard Donner's Superman's, The Goonies, all the old school black and white Spartacus type of films that were very <laughs> epic. You know, I, I would sit there with either Beta or VHS and just watch a lot of films. I love the the idea of stories of the imagination of, of being out of the real world and, and making anything up, right? And then being an illustrator that was always just a, I would just design characters and environments and sets and props with color and mood as a kid growing up. It always felt natural to me that I'd be an illustrator or something like that one day. Maybe I'll work with Disney or something. I, I didn't know. So I studied and went to art school, left art school, and was very lucky enough to jump into the games industry Uh, and and literally the the year I got into games industry I feel pretty uh, pretty lucky because it was in the mid 90s where games was going from PC platform into console Mm. so the the first of like the Sega Master Systems and uh, were coming out and Nintendo and it was pretty exciting for the games industry because that meant like better graphics more of a 3D world not a 2D type of style so I went in as a traditional 2D artists and then learned 3D in games mm-hmm. and then out sort of in a way it felt like I'm a lover of games but for the the creative side and the artwork I very quickly outgrew it where I wanted to build stuff with like more polygons more resolution I couldn't wait for the programming and it was just natural for me to jump into film mm. film at the time was uh, you know it, this shows my age uh, it was around 96 I think 97 and I landed my first film job and I kind of went in probably more of a technical angle and then I started to get a lot more creative again and I sort of worked my uh, shift into environments. So I've been pretty much focusing on environments now for over 20 years. I've gone from like a real creative 2D matte painting type of style through the years into more comprehensive, you know, 3D journalist type of approach and then went into supervision. So I've been supervising environments for well, over 10 years, at a, you know, and building solid teams around more of a, a 3D environment type of procedural build. Mm. And when I'm building environments and coming from my past and I guess my experience with design, illustration, uh, visual effects, art direction, you know, I've been a visual effects art director on some um, films in the past. I think just bringing all that experience together, I, I look at like shots and story, you know, what matters, where do you want the eye to look, the focal point, you know, not just about making a pretty picture like where does the eye need to look if the viewer is looking at it in three seconds in a shot and I enjoy creating that and now I even more I enjoy working with a team and sharing my experience and helping them create that with me which brings me to what I do now Mm. and I was almost going to say last year but we're into the year 2021 now Yeah. (laughs) but in 2019 I was working on the last season of Game of Thrones at Scanline Right. And pretty much we built the bulk of the show of environments for the, the, the final season. And as soon as I wrapped up, uh, you know, like I was spearheading all the environment work on the last season. Wow. Yeah. And pretty close to when I was wrapping that up, I started to talk to John Cowley, which is the head of studio at Fuse here at Vancouver. We were chatting about Snowpiercer. And I literally said to him, you know, I'm a big fan of the feature film. I've seen season one. You guys did a bit of work on it. You work 
working on season two, what's happening. I'd love to join the team. I'd love to supervise the show. I'd love to get on board. It made sense that because Snowpiercer is such an, an environment-heavy show, right, being a uh, an Ice Age look and world and coming from, you know, just coming off the back end of uh, Game of Thrones building environments, that I just jumped straight in from a desert type of in- rocky environment <laughs> to a snowy, <laughs> yeah, frozen ice environment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they um, did have a few snowy ice environments in Game of Thrones, you know, but when they were yes, up north. They did. But yes. That's been the interesting thing with season two, because season one, you got little glimpses of outside, but so much of it was contained within Snowpiercer. Yeah. And I know they're expanding that for season two. I mean, the, the second episode has just gone out, which I watched last night. And mm-hmm. um, they they talk about spoilers if people listening haven't watched the second episode yet, but they talk about the fact that the Earth appears to be warming again and right. going to a weather station to you know, yes. test this yeah. out. That would seem to imply moving forward that we are going to see a lot more of the outdoors. Yeah, you, which you we do haven't get a before. snapshot in episodes coming up where they, they do shift outdoors with a story. I'd hope they'd bring there'll be more seasons and there's going to be more seasons. You know, I hear a lot of stories and I think they'll just always evolve that further and further. Yeah. In a way, I've always looked at like it's been a year for me working on season two, right? We pretty right. much started when the pandemic hit. Yeah. So I first started talking to the client. I literally remember the first week, you know, I was on a phone call and I'm talking to our clients and there were three of them and it was like, okay, let's do this. You know, we're looking at like already talking about shots and work. There was reshoots. They need some help with for the back end of season one that which pretty much finished, but they reshot a few takes for the last episode on season one. I said, sure, I can help you that. Let's look at it. And then as soon as I promised them and we talked about delivery dates that week, boom, COB-19 just <laughs> popped out. And my whole team, because in visual effects, right, everybody went to work from home, right, as yeah. you know. And so my whole team, I just met them. They all went home. <laughs> And no one was in the studio, so I stayed, Dave. I, n- I never left. I'm in the studio now. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. It, it's a huge studio, and it's, it's just me and, <laughs> and, and an IT artist. Wow. So there was a period there of a day there I thought, wow, okay, so how is this going to work? Because my team's not here. I have a theater room. It's going to be just me. <laughs> How am I going to be able to talk to them, brief them? You know, I'll be talking to the client, and we just promised all this work. You know, how is this going to work? But, you know, all in all, it it came together really smooth. And I think we had to in visual effects, right? We would have all lost our jobs. We would have lost work because there's so much TV and film work out there. And when the pandemic hit, like half of it got shelved and paused because networks and producers didn't know what to do, what was going to happen. So they paused stuff and they couldn't shoot anymore. But then there's this other 50% of work that was already shot, plate turnover, vendors are being briefed like us, we're ready to go. And it was like, whoa. So our schedules probably got accelerated because everyone at home watching all this awesome content on Netflix, iTunes on TV, and they've watched everything. Yeah. And everybody wants new stuff to watch, right? So Snowpiercer's uh, schedule started to consolidate into a shorter timeline, and we've been working at it really hard for the last year, and it's been almost a year now to the beginning of March. Wow. I noticed the turnaround on season two was incredibly fast because it goes out on Netflix over here, um, yeah. and it goes out the you know, day after it does in the US. It was sort of 
of like almost a few weeks later, I think, or it might have even been straight after season one, they got a trailer out. You know, it was like for the second season. Yeah. Just a phenomenal job you did there. Managed to get that turned around so quick, particularly with the VFX work. No, thanks. We, uh, on that note, I'd have to say like probably the largest challenge for the show for me was really the pace we were moving and what we had to achieve in the time frame because there was air dates set, right? Yeah. You, you, you have to meet the deadlines. They can't be pushed, right? Mm. So schedule was, was really important. Stuff needed to look super cool, but the schedule was important. And coming from quite a large film background, and yes, I've worked on episodic before like Game of Thrones, but we had a little bit more time. Mm. It, you know, it is more fast-paced for episodic, but, you know, in feature film, even though the time frames are getting shorter and shorter all the time, we could have a few months to work on some big shots. Uh, on this show, we, we didn't have it. It was the biggest challenge, right? It was ambitious because it's Snowpiercer, right? It's an ice age. It's a frozen world. You yeah. know, it, it's, it's something nice and beautiful about that, and it becomes so ambitious creatively, like sky's the limit. You can do so much with it and take it so far. Although, like, we got to deliver one episode and then the next episode, and then it gets to a point where we're working on two, three episodes at the same time. <laughs> and for me, as supervising the show, it was key for me to look at that and think, well, okay, so how's this going to work? It's going to be so important for me and my team to be super smart creatively, um, but working out like, how can we move this fast? You know, what are the things that we can do? We, we need to build an extensive library with assets and props that are textured so we can reuse yeah. and, you know, rechange, look at procedural shaders. We know everything's going to be covered with snow and ice. That is the look. It was set in season one, season two. It's that same world. We'll have to build some and elaborate on what we did in season one, more comprehensive, you know, textures and shaders and props. Even things I, I think back and I think after the first two episodes, we realized, well, no, I realized that one of our key characters on the show is the Snowpiercer, the train, right? Mm. And the train pulls 1,001 carriages. And for us in visual effects, to render and piece together and build a thousand carriages off the back of one high res train, that's going to be a challenge. Yeah. Like that's a lot of pixels. That's a yeah. lot of polygons. And working with the team, we worked out like I could say it's a tool and it's a tool we've been developing over the season where we could from when we start in camera and layout. Right. We start building the train and the carriages in a way that then we can transfer. It's not throwaway work. Our layouts are never throwaway work. We use the tool that we've been building so we can transfer that information into build. Right. right. And we can start basically just quickly replace the layout. Right. That's proxies with a higher comprehensive LED models and textures. Right. But it was important to us to build the tools so that we couldn't purchase it. This is something we had to sort ourselves and build a workflow for that, how that could work. Again, we had to be smart how we could move fast when we're building wide establishing shots that we may see for three or four seconds on the show, Yeah. right? But we could see a snapshot up to 100, 200, 300, or 1,000 cars behind the, the head train. Yeah. From a technical point of view, that was our first challenge. We really had to look at and see how we could sort of solve that. And then it was important for, you know, our models and our textures that have a library that the artists could reuse and work very fast and efficient in. Yeah. The thing with Snowpiercer as well is when you're 
you're dealing with other shows, you know, something like your sort of Game of Thrones things, I guess when you're dealing with environments in that case, you are dealing more with scene replacement things. So there are actors in the environments more, whereas so much of this is the outside shots, certainly from what we've seen at the moment, is the train in the snow. And there, yeah. Yeah, because people would die if they'd be out there. So it's all CGI as opposed to sort of imposing actors on CGI, I would guess. Exactly. There's no way you could shoot. Even here, I live in Canada, Vancouver, and an hour up the road is Whistler, and it's, it's, mm. always, you know, it's always snowing in winter up there. But you couldn't shoot this show in a snow environment, really, because it looks different. In the Snowpiercer world, there was blizzards for six years. Years, yeah. And then it got so cold that the blizzards froze. It couldn't snow. There couldn't be a storm anymore because it got it got too cold. Right? Yeah. Then everything froze for a year, and then that created the Snowpiercer look. So it's this snow-beaten, blizzard, slightly destroyed, burnt ice landscape with a freeze of ice on top of it. So you would see stalactites and icicles. Mm. And in a snow environment in the real world, you don't really see ice. You know. And, and in, yeah. in Antarctic, right, in Antarctica, it's either all ice or it's, you know, if you go somewhere else where it's cold or it's snowing, right? In the snow piece of world, it's a bit of a blend between both. Yeah. Um, have you seen the first episode in season two? Yes. Yeah, I've seen the first two episodes. So in the first episode, the opening credits area, uh, Melanie, which is Jennifer Connelly's character, she's outside the train. Yes. And there's a kind of a story component there. Something happens and she's trying to do something and something happens. She finds herself laying on the ground and there's a moment there where she's almost about to give up like mm. everything's too hard you know the world is over and she looks up and she realizes there's a snowflake and it's just starting to snow mm. and she realizes the world's changing yeah it might be changing for the better and psychologically it gave her hope mm. and she got up yeah. and she and yeah. the train was leaving and she was about to miss the train and, and if she misses that train that's over for her right because like you said everything freezes out there you can't survive you can't take the helmet off yeah and then she jumped back on the train and she's back on track again that whole scene on the opening credits there at the beginning of the first episode the location starts off similar to where the last episode of season one was which is based in the chicago rail yard right location and it was a nice a really enjoyable nice uh sequence that we worked on it was uh it was a lot of fun in, in a lot of ways a lot of the shots feel like they're like the invisible effects you wouldn't realize it because the story uh, you're watching melanie and then everything around her is supporting her. Believe it or not, most of, you know, like we ended up rotoing her out of almost everything. So <laughs> she was real. Everything else was us, right? Visual effects. The trains were CG. The ground was CG. The buildings, the city was CG. We did a lot of tricks for Atmos. It was very important again for like, you know, I mentioned in build that we would build this library of models that could be used in snow shaders, but it was also important in compositing with look development that we would build a pretty comprehensive setup for Atmos. How do we deal with Atmos on this mm. show? Again, it can't be thick snow falling from the sky because it's too cold. Yeah. But we would see little anomalies of little flakes slowly fall down in the weather pattern. But we would have mist as well to help sell depth and layering. Yeah. And we built a like a 3D setup in Nuke in Comp that we could use as a template 
for like each episode and each shot and be able to bring that in and adjust it to the cameras. We refined that over the season and it got better and better and it's uh, really helped to streamline our process. But for that sequence, I believe there was some practical, they built out of wood on set and painted it underneath the train. Right. So there's a little moment there where Melanie climbs yeah, under the train. bashing something under the train, yeah. She's trying to bash and break apart some electrical cabling that's within a pipe Mm. So it separates the two trains that are joined. Yes. Right? She wants the trains separated. Yeah. And, and then she climbs back out. So underneath there, uh, under the train, for a few of the shots, it's practical. And we just did a little bit of set extension because everything was shot in a studio on green. Yeah. But I think for the most part, we ended up rotoing even some of those shots. We ended up building a CG version of underneath the train because what they built on set wasn't in par with the actual CG model and right. the CG model of the Snowpiercer train and all the trains had in the past gone into great detail technically exactly where the show producers wanted the wheels the scale and the size hmm. you know, because these trains are two to three stories high yeah They're huge yeah it's interesting actually I, I spoke to Barry Robinson who was the production designer on season one so set a, yeah. you know a lot of the look of that and he was talking about right. how the trains are sort of set up and having to have a, a small space to work in which is a set fixed size you can't kind of cheat it in any way it needs to be Um, exactly so off in the background and stuff and i don't know whether this comes up more as you go into the season but there obviously are cities out there which have been destroyed by the snow so is there much detail in you doing that or are they almost kind of map painting like or we are you having to do more with the city a little bit of both in the most part you will see in like in episodes that come things do get expanded i think in episode one i think we traveled through minneapolis so you get a snapshot of of trains over a bridge heading towards the Minneapolis downtown city and it's it's frozen daylight establishing shot. For the most part, everything's, I would call it minimal matte painting. Right. You know, most of it is uh, is full 3D procedural textures. Why? Because, well, sometimes matte painting, depended on what we're trying to achieve, can help us to work fast to create something that looks photo real. In our case with some of these shots, it was important to build our library of building blocks and reuse them and rechange them to look different on different shots and episodes that could make us move faster but that has to be in a 3d environment it has to be behind yeah. a 3d camera what was a challenge though also with the the cities in the background though was with the the network for the network it was really important that the look creatively had to feel grounding and realistic Mm. they didn't want it to feel like a sci-fi show and when i say a a sci-fi show in the way that they didn't want you know no one flies no one has magic powers on this show right they wanted to feel very grounded realistic in a way if this really happened to us tomorrow in the real world what would it look like what would a city look like it would just be like abandoned left destroyed after six years of blizzards and then the how it would look frozen the scale of it and the depth of atmosphere and the color the lighting they wanted it to be true you know they didn't want to you know really shied away from anything going stylized and that was really important for them so in an establishing shot if i talk about minneapolis we see in episode one we see it probably for seven eight seconds when we started with concept art and camera work on how that shot how how the composition would look it was important that we needed to know or the 
the audience needed to know that that was Minneapolis in the seven seconds, right? Not New York, yeah. not Sydney, yeah. not London. It needed to be very iconic to that city. So we needed to look at the the angle of what's iconic to that city, the, the bigger beats of buildings that people would recognize and the shapes and the stadium. The, st- the famous stadium was one of them, the sports arena. And then the bridges that hold our trains that go into cities, it was important that they were based on where real world bridges and train lines are. Although the owner of the trains, Wilford, and he's also the architect and builder, he's built larger platforms of bridges and train rails on top of the existing old world ones. Right. So it was all in idea. So when viewers and audience watch and see these exteriors that in hope to feel like, oh, that's Minneapolis Mm. or that's Chicago, you know, and in the opening scenes that were nighttime in the background city you were talking about, that was Chicago, that one. Right, yeah. So we'll see, I think by memory, we see the Sears building in the BG, which is it's a humongous, tall, very iconic shaped building that I, you see in I Chicago. Have been, I have been up for the Sears Tower in really? Chicago. Yes, it's, it's uh, <laughs> one of the few places I've been in America. Uh, I've been wow. to the top of it. It's, the view is very impressive for up there, but yes. I imagine it would be, and I've never been in the Sears Tower, but I know it very well after this show now. Like, we, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. I could imagine you would. Um, is creating those big sort of snow environments trickier than doing your sort of normal stuff? Because like you say, mm-hmm. everything is frozen. So there isn't that much like falling snow in this. Yeah. But it must get quite complex just having to sort of figure out how does this look? How did it drift and then freeze? Creating those sort of natural environments like that must be quite a challenge. Yeah, it was a challenge. It was really tricky. We spent quite a bit of time early on, especially over the first few episodes, creating concept art, pulling a lot of photography, YouTube reference, uh, working very closely with our clients on creating that look. If I look at, for an example, you know, like in the past, if I've worked on a, on a project and it's snowing and it's a snow environment, we all know what a powdered, fresh looking snow environment looks like. And if we build something like that in film or TV, it feels convincing and we're good. On Snowpiercer, there's no soft powder. It hasn't mm. just snowed and then it's just left there for everybody to snowboard on, right? Yeah. It was a blizzard and then it froze for a year afterwards. Now, there's nowhere in the world I don't think we can shoot that. Yeah. Right? So with snow and stalagmites and ice and, and destroyed. So we needed to find that look and blend that. And then again, coming back, it was very important for the network that it needed to feel real and grounding. It can't feel like something that's off a, a Riddick film. It can't feel like an alien world. Yeah. It may look a little bit like an alien world because we all haven't lived in a frozen ice age like this. Yes. Yeah. But it's it needed to feel like, again, they would always bring the words up, like, if this really happened to us, what would it really look like? <laughs> and so there were a lot of times there where we had to really get in and do some look dev, some turntables, and come up with a look that we thought that, yeah, this resembles similar to the feature film and similar to what our clients are looking for. And we found a good mix by the end of it. You joined the show on the second season. Mm-hmm. Were there any changes in terms of the, the looks of things that, you know, or even if they were just sort of tweaks to stuff? Because like uh, Big Alice, we didn't see that much of. We kind of got it right at the very end, but I just wonder yeah. whether there were, there were kind of additions and stuff that you put onto that since you joined this season. Most of the, like, the trains we have, you know, the head engine snowpiercer and we have big alice and we have all the carriage 
bridges that are attached to both of them. Mm-hmm. So they're both very different trains. Snowpiercer is, it, it pulls its carriages mm-hmm. and Big Alice pushes the carriages. Yeah. So the head engine is in the back of the run mm-hmm. and all the carriages are in front of it. Uh, so those models, they were built in season one. Right, right? Yeah. So they, they were designed by a concept designer that worked with our clients and then they were, they were built in 3D, they were textured procedurally. So for season two, we pretty much had them already and we could plug them into our shots and build the worlds around them. Wasn't as simple as that. We still had to make them work in the different lighting scenarios because yeah. we had low light, nighttime, like a full moon, super moon scenarios, you know, overcast moon scenarios, bright daylight, early morning sunrise. So we really had to make them and our environments work in the different lighting conditions. What do we have to tweak? I think... You know, the challenge for us with some of those assets, especially if you if you think back to episode one and the opening, there are times there where Melanie, our character, walks up close to the trains. Mm-hmm. I think she puts her hands on the trains. Now, at that point, our models didn't hold up for that amount of detail that close up. So we need to build what we call bespoke models that would replace in those shots. And that meant we really had to get into more detail of the ice and the snow, the reflective metallic looking metal of the train underneath the ice layers that was a challenge fun challenge and really happy with the look we came up with felt very believable i even remember being in a conversation once with the network and our client and one of the uh, designers that was building some of the practical sets when they were shooting and he had mentioned and said well, so you guys will be matching your CG of the train and the snow up close to, you know, what we built like on these shots that look very realistic on set. And I said, yeah, we'll be matching identical because those shots we're looking at, they're our 3D shots. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So he was already a believer. So I thought we were doing a good job. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, that's what you want. The, uh, yes. If you could have fooled the guy, the set guy, that's that's definitely what you want. (laughs) He sort of scratched his head after that. He went sort of super quiet, but uh, it was, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, um, in terms of sort of other stuff, were there any particular tricky scenes that you could talk about that you had to deal with? It's kind of difficult because we've only had two episodes go out so far. So, yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Or anything that we should be maybe looking out for in upcoming episodes without going into detail. Yeah, there's lots to look out for. Uh, (laughs) I I can't speak about that, but it definitely, uh, each episode, uh, quite a few of them later on, we know there's 10 episodes all up, but they get bigger. We see more visual effects and explore more of the uh, the world. There was, if, if I think of episode, how many episodes are out? One and two, right? First two. So in the first two episodes, you'll see features a snowflake, a single snowflake. I, uh, yes, I remember waters. that. Yeah. It's a snowflake. And we had to create what this snowflake looked like and what the network wanted to look like for the Snowpiercer world. And because the shots were so macro, designed mm. so close up and all about the snowflake first time we built it it felt magical and it felt like it was a, a fluffy it felt realistic but it was something that felt like it was straight out of whistler on a powdered snowy day mm. we needed to create a snowflake up close for these macro shots that felt like it was more of a frozen looking snowflake you know so it, in some ways it was less detailed but it needed to feel like ice like a or a flake yeah. like the snow right but not plastic or glass yeah you know 
and it sounds like something simple, but it was a challenge to create that look for these shots. <laughs> you know? And by the end of it, we, we pulled something together and it worked really well and told that story and very happy clients and, and it looked nice. But we did evolve from a powdered looking snowflake to something that was more like a chunk of ice. Yeah, I remember that shot and I can see exactly what you mean with it. It works very well. It's basically yeah. about a thought that goes into something that's so tiny. It's surprising how our minds, you know, we're not very used to seeing snowflakes up close, macro, no. right? This no. close. And when you start to look at real world references of what a snowflake looks up close, in a lot of ways, they're strange. They don't look very realistic. They look like something artificial. Mm, yeah. We, and we try, our target always is to try to believe, build something's realistic. And once we got there, it was like, hmm, it was strange. Yeah. It's one of those things that snowflakes up close are so weird because they don't look, that they are so kind of geometrical. At, you yeah. Know, and you, Almost you unbelievable yeah. how they're constructed and how they, how they look. Yeah. It looks like a fake snowflake, but it isn't because that's how snowflakes look. If you, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's, it's correct. It's right. And, yeah. and that's the way you should do it, you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that's a great shot as well when it kind of floats across the front. It, it works really well. And I can see the kind of ice look to it. Overall, the uh, over like the first two episodes and other episodes to come, like again, I can't go into detail of those, those episodes, but the story does evolve and go through different areas of the world. And for us, for the visual effects meant that most of the story is, it's a political story that happens inside the train. Mm. So when it comes to visual effects, they did a really good job building everything inside the train. Yeah, Half our shots are just building what the exteriors look like to give the audience a snapshot of the location of where that story is unfolding at the moment. And then the other half hour shots are extending sets in the interiors back. So they may build a half a carriage inside and the rest of it's on a green screen. Mm -hmm. And then we'll extend the inside of the carriage out. They did a very good job for the set design inside those. So it was nothing we needed to redesign. It was just mimicking and establishing the same sort of lighting scenario and props and shapes. But like for the wides, and as soon as we see outside, we got really creative to capture these iconic, slightly destroyed relics of the past that had gone through these blizzards, I guess, to find things that are interesting to look at, you know, and to establish. And I actually remember first couple of scenes we were working on and we started to realize how tall these trains are from two to three stories tall. Mm. Because if we would put, for an example, if we would add a frozen farmhouse out in the set and the camera would look out a train window, you don't see it. Yeah. You look because you're looking over it. You don't right, see yeah, anything. Yeah. Right. Because these trains are so big, you know, yeah. in the real world. Right. So we realized that our structures outside and the designs and what we want to see and for interest, they needed to be big, tall pylons or the, the city structures. They had to be the, the cities that where the cameras are in the composition, we would have to capture the scale of the city. Otherwise, we're not going to see it. Yeah. There was a lot of design solutions there we had to think about and, con and consider, which was really helpful. We went through and did pre-vis for all our work, right? Mm -hmm. So we did like a glorious layout and did a lot of concept art to help work out what these monuments would look like that we'll see in episodes to come. And with the lighting scenarios, the composition and the frozen world, it was fun. It was a very creative show. Yeah, it looks spectacular. You do see that they seem to have stepped up a gear with the CG for the second season as well. I mean, there were, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, it oh, yeah. really looks wonderful. And I mean, plot line and everything. It's one of my favorite shows on at the moment. I really, really enjoy it. So uh, 
where I'm looking forward to seeing where the rest of this season goes. Uh, <laughs> hopefully it'll be back for another season after that as well, because I think, you know, if it carries on and the world is warming and that sort of stuff, I'd be very interested to see where it goes after that. Where it evolves. Yeah, yeah. because of course the other problem you've got is snow melts. So you also could end up with, I mean, I don't know where they're planning on going, but if, if yeah. it does warm up, you've suddenly got water everywhere, which could be quite an interesting kind of yeah. segue to go into in a future season somewhere. So um, totally. I'm really interested to see where it, where they go with it. So I've got a couple of last questions for you. So uh, first question is, are you working on anything right now? What can you say what you're working on? If you can't, that's fine. I entirely understand. No, I can. Wrapping up the last episode. Oh, you're still working on the last episode. <laughs> yeah, okay. we're wrapping up the last episode of snow pieces season two wow okay yeah have you got yeah. stuff lined up after that that i have that- i have some pretty cool stuff uh i can't at this point in time i can't yeah can't talk about it yeah <laughs> cool all right well i'm i'm glad you're you're carrying on working that's awesome <laughs> glad they're still getting stuff out there and uh last two questions they're always tv related and they're the same for everybody so uh first question yeah. is what tv shows are you watching at the moment yeah, that's a good question uh snow pieces is one of them i just actually <laughs> finished watching the the Queen's Gambit. Oh, yes, yes. 70 million people or something have watched worldwide. That's ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, I heard all this, you know, all this talk about the show, that it was a great show and a great story and I started watching it and yeah, I thought it was good. I really enjoyed it. Mm, yeah. yeah. Uh, what else am I watching? Hmm. I'm interested to watch The Brave New World. I think it's out. Yes, yes. It's I been watched yet, but I, I was, yeah, I had some friends that worked on the show. Uh, that is sort of one that's on my top of my list I want to, I want to watch. Yeah. I'm a bit of a Star Trek fan. I haven't caught up with the new Star Treks that they've released over the last 12 months. Oh, wow. Yes, those those you need to get on top there's, of because... I think there's Picard as well. I'd yeah. love to watch. I haven't even seen the first episode yet. I think they're all out. I think they're all the watch. I've heard good things, but they're on the top of my list to watch. Yeah, Picard's really good. Uh, I think Discovery's superb as well. The the third season in particular is takes... Yeah. I, mean, the, I don't know where you are on that, but it takes... Third season takes it in a really interesting direction. Lower Decks, the animated series is really fun as well right really yeah yeah, yeah. okay it's very much set in a star trek world and and yeah. fits quite well but it's very silly it's sort of star trek meets rick and morty kind of smashed together it's really fun <laughs> oh um, nice i'll have to watch that yeah and that's lower decks that's but that's that's really good fun so last question mm-hmm. if you had the opportunity to work on any tv show it can be something from the past something present or something future can't be something already worked on because loads of people answer Game of Thrones is this so you can't do that <laughs> oh actually it's funny you say that I was about to say probably the prequels for Game of Thrones oh well no, no, <laughs> well, there's a get out clause yes yeah no well that's uh, understandable yeah I think for me Game of Thrones was pretty memorable because I was lucky enough to work on every season right, right? and at three different vendors over the years and the very first season when I was back home in Australia working with Rising Sun Pictures we started to work on you know game of thrones and coming from a big environment background we were you know working on the environments um, but over all the scenes the episodes in the years on game of thrones it really evolved mm. and i kind of find that exciting seeing where the first show starts their visual effects budget and their time frame and then where it ends on the last season where the budget yeah is larger their time frames are slightly larger and they end up with more complex work it was fun and and i kind of had that journey also you 
you know, again, my, my background's in a lot of film and working on the Harry Potter films. I worked on all the Harry Potter films except for the first two. Right. right? But that was the same sort of experience where you would start with a certain amount of visual effects and then by the last film or last episode, it becomes more complex, especially when it's a show that goes really well and they might build uh, or create eight seasons. And it's just something, it's just really fun to look back and, you, and I can look at Game of Thrones and I can look at like, wow, all those seasons, I remember all the shots and episodes because I worked with them yeah, with my team and I worked on them as well. And it's just a good feeling to, to look back and see you work on the screen, you know, over so many years, yeah. not, not, a, not a once off. Yeah. I mean, I know the final season of Game of Thrones has a mixed reaction with fans, but for the visual yeah. effect work throughout was spectacular on that show. I mean, really, yeah. really beautiful work. So, yeah. The other show I, I would come to my mind if I'd love to work on, and there's not a lot of information out there at the moment, but I've been following it a little bit online, is there's going to be a Flash Gordon TV series. Yes. And I can't mention any na- probably any names or anything at, at the moment, but like the writer, one of the writers on the show, I know quite well. And I often think, man, I'd love to work on that show. Like Flash Gordon, I remember watching the, the original old film when I was a kid. Mm. And it's memorable, especially that Queen song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but to be able to like, you know, that was a different world and a different era, right? How we created visual effects. And it was much more practical and special mm. effects. And now with CGI, what we could do in the stories that they could tell, you know, in the in the, that Flash Gordon realm and look, that would be fun. And it's a different look and style of what's out there, right? It's yeah. not Game of Thrones. It's not Star Wars. It has its own look, you know, very retro. And that would be fun. I'd love to be part of that yeah that would be an interesting one they're they're talking about a buck rogers tv show reboot as well which is another one which i think would be a really you know because it's got that kind of the boy's own adventure kind of yeah you know world to it i'm a i'm I'm really bad i'm a i'm a cliche when it comes to sci-fi projects yeah for tv and film like i love them all and i could work on them all and i like the storytelling for me there's storytelling in the visuals like when i can watch a film that has a good story and the visuals are really good too and I'm working on that as well that's just like I'm a kid in a candy store it's just amazing but at the same time I don't write all the content I'm not a writer I don't write the content on the on the programs that Mm -hmm. I've worked with and a lot of the time like you know these are the stories and the visuals that I help create with my amazing team is to try to help tell those stories right to support those stories but when it's sci-fi if it's like end of the world you know if it's got robots in it and creatures in it I'm there i love it yeah well i mean there's plenty of interesting stuff coming up and uh you know if you're in vancouver you're in the right place to do it as well i think with a lot of yeah, that stuff. yeah so, I am. awesome well i look forward to seeing what more you come out with i'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the second season of snowpierce because it's been great for the first two episodes of this season as well so uh, i'm glad you enjoyed it really really enjoyed it world looks fantastic and you know you. so i'm uh, i'm looking forward to seeing more of it when you've got your next project come out come back on and we'll, we'll chat about what whatever that is. Sounds good, Dave. Have a great day and I will talk to you again soon. Nice meeting you. Cheers. And you. Cheers. Bye. See you later. (laughs) 
Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com.